Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Goodwill Meditation Group webinar. We meet here today to take part in a group meditation and to discuss topics related to the theme of goodwill as it is expressed through human thinking, human living, and human relationships. This work is, I think we all agree, is very important, so thank you all for being here today. Goodwill is a living energy. It is the principle of love expressed through constantly shifting, constantly evolving human relationships. Goodwill, as it is expressed through right relationship, affirms the inherent goodness of human nature. It affirms that humanity is, in its very essence, divine, and therefore can mediate the energies of the highest goodness into phenomenal expression. As we know, the energy of goodwill has the potential to bridge many cleavages, racial, national, and ideological that exist within human consciousness. Goodwill coordinates the whole diversity of human living so that humanity exists in its wholeness as well as in its diversity. This Goodwill Meditation Group comes together really every Wednesday at noon in your local time zone. And we link up subjectively in meditation. We invite all of you to link up each week and to use the Goodwill Meditation, the same one we will use today, to strengthen the expression of goodwill through human thinking and human living. This webinar meets on the last Wednesday of each month and seeks to support the weekly work of the group and to introduce new members to its work. So I'm here, my name is Michael Galloway and I'm here today with my colleagues, Dominic Dibble from our London headquarters and Minsa Vanderveld from Geneva, who will share a few thoughts today on our theme which is the UN and the quest for world unity. I see here, it looks like Minsa's uh, picture is highlighted rather than mine. So I'm just gonna fix that really quickly. There we go. All right, so before we proceed any further, let us um, join together in a mantra. the mantram of the new group of world servers. May the power of the one life pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May we fulfill our part in the one work through self-forgetfulness, harmlessness, and right speech. Oh. 
So we meet here today following on from World Unity Week, which just concluded this past Saturday, June 26th. And this week saw literally hundreds of meetings across dozens of different convergence rooms, all meeting with a common intention. That is to do good or to motivate and grow the good in humanity, each in their own way. Witnessing the theme of the one humanity and of world unity expressed in so many different ways and by so many different groups and by so many different minds was incredibly uplifting. It showed that the invocative spirit is so alive today, the strength of, des of desire for a world conditioned by spiritual values of the highest goodness is so strong. Also significant were the many very thoughtful presentations of ideas and actions which are being taken to get humanity from where we are to where we envision ourselves to be in the future. Today's presentation on the UN, which will follow after our meditation, dovetails on this theme. We'll include some thoughts on the significance of this intergovernmental body, including how it is structured um, and what its purpose is. The UN itself aims to achieve a sort of world unity through the upholding of its three pillars, which is human rights, peace and security, and development. But the UN, of course, is much more than just an organization. It is an idea that is alive in the collective mind of humanity. It has been since the beginning of the 20th century. The Allied powers, after emerging victorious in 1945, were initially very briefly referred to as the United Nations. They had united against the fascism and insidiousness which during that time flew so totally in the face of all human dignity and of every expression of human goodness and of goodwill. The UN as we know it today is that which emerged from this victory. It represents the positive and creative vision of some of the highest ideals which humanity is today capable of. This idea of course, continues to evolve. Today it carries such a note of synthesis and fusion that goes well beyond simply of intergovernmental communication. And perhaps the greatest strength of the UN is that it encompasses both the ideal and the means to achieve it. Our meditation work is somewhat similar in this regard. In meditation, we work with mental energies and our ability to visualize and to think things through, especially as a group, does produce effects. Through focused group thinking, we can set in motion certain energies and strengthen great thought forms. And this greatly hastens the social evolution of humanity. And so without any further ado, let us proceed with 
our meditation. We link up in thought with all those people throughout the world who are working in this Goodwill Meditation Group. We reflect upon the fact of relationship. With the family. With your community. with your nation. With the world of nations. And with the one humanity made up of all races and all nations. We use together the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve, and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. 
let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Reflect upon your own and humanity's relationship with all those beings who dwell in the higher realms of mind and heart. This is the spiritual hierarchy of saints, rishis, bodhisattvas, masters, honored by all the world's traditions and spiritual groups. Imagine that you are standing together within the center of the spiritual hierarchy, immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. This heart of love is known as the Christ, and other faiths have other names, the one at the center, such as Maitreya, the Iman Makti, and the Kalki Avatar.
maintaining that high point of contact lets your thoughts reach out to all those in whom the energy of goodwill is active. Silently use the affirmation of love. In the center of all love I stand. From that center I, the soul will outward move. From that center I, the one who serves will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad. In my heart, through my group and throughout the world. Visualize the energy of love flowing from the hierarchy through the men and women of goodwill and into the hearts and minds of all people, infusing them with goodwill and creating loving and harmonious human relationships.
Meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human relationships, restoring peace on earth. Realize that you are helping to build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity through which the energy of goodwill may flow. Linking in thought with the men and women of goodwill all throughout the world. Sound the great invocation. Say it with deliberation and with full commitment to its meaning. 
knowing that you are radiating its potent energies to humanity. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the mind, into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. I'd like to now invite my colleague, Dominic Dibble, to um, turn on his video and unmute himself. Dominic, are you there? Um, yep, okay. I can see you perfectly. Okay. Thank Michael. Thank you for that introduction and meditation. As Nicole said in the introduction, we are working and connecting, cooperating with World Unity Week. And it's an inspiring example of what in the Alice ba Bailey tradition we would talk we would talk about as the activities of the new group of 
world servers, people who have a consciousness of their being one world, of, of, their, of world unity as being a state or a process that, 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 that humanity is aspiring to realize. And of course, we haven't quite got there yet. But one of the most important tools in our toolbox, perhaps, is the United Nations. And I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to think about it. What's your favourite part of the UN? It sounds from one angle almost a trivial question, but if you think about it, it's quite a revealing one. It immediately gets you thinking, well, what, what is the UN actually? What does it mean? And, of course, in the media we see references to the UN, perhaps not enough, as there should be. But when these writers or, or presenters say the UN, what do, what do they mean? Often it refers to a very specific part of the UN system. A typical usage might be, for example, about the UN Security Council. So I'm just wondering if we took a poll right now, how many people would think of that as their favourite? Another typical usage might refer to a UN peacekeeping mission in, for example, Palestine or the Democratic Republic of the Congo or elsewhere. <clears throat> Yet another might refer to the work of one of the agencies, such as the UN Refugee Agency. Another might refer to the General Assembly, and I see that somebody's mentioned that already in the chat, and so on and so on. <clears throat> The point, as I should now, I hope, be obvious, is that the UN is it's rather like the fabled elephant in uh, that well-known story where there are blind people trying to figure out what an elephant is, sometimes three, sometimes more. And the UN has a lot more than three parts. Um, so I'm just going to put on the screen a chart of the United Nations uh, as, as it was conceived of, of in 2019. So that's, that's the UN. Now, if you look, it's probably quite difficult to see. In fact, I could, I could hardly, hard, hardly read the writing on my screen. Um, all of these different bodies, all of these different funds, organs, programs, entities, commissions, specialised agencies, related organisations, departments and offices. All of those are what we might call the UN system. And, you know, some of them you've, you may never have heard of. Um, for example, there's SCAP, Economic and Social Commission for Asia and the Pacific. I wonder what that does. Is that somebody's favourite part of the UN? There's specialised agencies like, like the UNIDO, United Nations Industrial Development Organisation. The World Tourism Organisation as well. The Universal Postal Union. 
and so on and so on. And the the funny thing is, of course, that if you go if you go down to the the, the bottom right of this chart, it says. This chart is a reflection of the functional organization of the United Nations system and for informational purposes only. It does not include all offices or entities of the United Nations system. So <laughs> it's it looks like this very complex thing. One might begin to wonder, where is the unity in all this diversity? The answer, of course, is in its motivating purpose. And this motivating purpose is most easily detected in some of the key documents that relate to its founding and operation. And the two most obvious of these are the UN Charter and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Let's ponder for a moment on the preamble to the Charter. We, the peoples of the United Nations, determined to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime has brought untold sorrow to mankind, and to reaffirm faith in fundamental human rights and the dignity and worth of the human person equal rights of men and women and of nations large and small and to establish conditions under which justice and respect for the obligations arising from treaties and other sources of international law can be maintained and to promote social progress and better standards of life in larger freedom. And for these ends, to practice tolerance and live together in peace with one another as good neighbours and to unite our strength to maintain international peace and security and to ensure by the acceptance of principles and the institution of methods that armed forces, armed force shall not be used save in the common interest and to employ international machinery for the promotion of the economic and social advancement of all peoples have resolved to combine our efforts to accomplish these aims. A very inspiring, well, as, as soon as one starts to read it, one, begin, one begins to feel the spirit of, the, of, this, of these words and this beautiful, uplifting, aspirational, idealizing intention. And the first part of this preamble presents four intentions of enormous scope when we think about it. saving the future from war, reaffirming faith in human rights, establishing respect for international law, and promoting social progress. And any one of those tasks is world-changing in its scope, and UN seeks to accomplish all four of them. And all of this on a budget that to me a fraction of the annual GDP of even quite small nations. So just for comparison's purposes, in, in 2013, the UN budget was about $2.75 billion. 
2.75. Not 275, 2.75. For comparison, the general fund budget for the state of Arizona in 2015 was around 9.1 billion. So the fact is the intentions that are stated in the preamble, they are significant from a social perspective. I mean, basically we know that the set of intention is the central part of constructing the Antikorana. So we're, we're talking about intentions that are basically focusing, helping to build planetary Antikorana. And these are expressed in the founding document of the UN. And the, the, in, in these in, intentions, there is a there's implicit uh, universalism, universalism, hard word to say. Uh, it's made and it's made more explicit in the first article of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is arguably one of the most spiritual statements ever to appear amongst all the sacred texts of the world. It runs as follows: It's very short, very simple. All human beings are born free and equal in dignity and in rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. All human beings. So we are in the realm of universalism and synthesis. And we know from Alice Bailey's writings that the avatar of synthesis has particular connection with the United Nations General Assembly. And the great principle of freedom, of which the Tibetan remarks, the principle of freedom is a leavening energy which can permeate substance in a unique manner. This principle of freedom is one of the attributes of deity, like will, love, and mind, of which humanity knows as yet little. The freedom which men fight is one of the lowest aspects of this cosmic freedom, which is related to certain great evolutionary developments that enable the life or spirit aspect to free itself from the impact, the contact, and the influence of substance. That's a quote from the Rays and the Initiations. Equality. Now, one way of capturing the key insights of universality and equality that lie at the heart of the first article is summed up in a concept that Alice Bailey says should be taught to every child, namely the value of the individual and the fact of the one humanity. The value of the individual is central to the rights enshrined in the U in Declaration. However, the fact that it grants equal rights to every person contains within it an essential corollary, that every person is responsible for upholding the rights of others, and indeed ultimately all others. The same idea is contained in the fact of the one humanity. The fact of the one humanity makes it explicit that responsibility can't stop at any point short of the whole world. It implies that there will eventually have to, have to be global systems of distributing the wealth of the earth fairly that every human being has some say in. While these systems may take decades or even centuries to fully implement, 
all who are currently conscious of this need must play their part in laying the groundwork now. Now, this groundwork does not simply mean proclaiming this vision and demanding that all immediately conform to it, because that's, that's not practical. Instead, the difficult task before people of goodwill is to identify those trends and movements in human consciousness and affairs, such as World Unity Week, that are clearly working to create some of the practical foundations of such a future society. Identifying groups involved with this process is not always an easy matter, but one crucial test will be whether they are sounding the note of goodwill in their activities. For it's only through working with the principle of goodwill right human relations can be accomplished. Now, we could easily say more about the first article, but we also want to have some time for discussion. <clears throat> so just to conclude for now, the United Nations, whatever we mean by that term, and we will mean different things at different times, perhaps, is undoubtedly an exalted spiritual enterprise is undertaken by we, the peoples. And it's also a deeply human project with all that implies of fallibility and conflicting motives. It acts as a field of experimental expression for some of the noblest principles which humanity has so far learned to put into thoughts, words, and actions. And it does so through the imperfect instruments of individual human beings. So it means it will always be open to criticism and call for reform and transformation. Yet, at the same time, it will always be a beacon of aspiration and intention for all who seek a better world one in which human, human unity is genuinely reflected in all political and social arrangements. Oh, now I'm going to hand over to my co-worker, Mintza van, van der Velde, who has some thoughts to share on the work of the Human Rights Council in Geneva. And before I do, I'd just like to echo my opening question and just think about it a bit more. What's your favourite part of the UN? And invite you to share maybe your thoughts either in the chat or in, or in our discussion afterwards. Over to you, Mensa. Thank you very much, Dominique. Of course, my favorite part of the UN is the Human Rights Council, <laughs> which is <laughs> what I'm going to talk about, because the Human Rights Council is here in Geneva. It's one, uh, one of the major activities of the UN in Geneva. As you know, there are different uh, um, offices of the UN uh, all over the world, but the major ones are in New York and in Geneva and some smaller in Vienna, in Nigeria, in, in Africa. The, the Human Rights Council here has uh, 47 members um, which are elected for staggered uh, three-year terms on a regional group basis. Uh, the Council investigates allegations of breaches of human rights in the United Nations member states and addresses thematic human rights issues such as freedom of association and assembly, freedom of expression, freedom of belief and religion, women's rights, LGDB rights and the rights of racial and ethnic minorities. 
The Council was established not, not that long ago by the United Nations General Assembly on March 15th in 2006 to replace the by then United Nations Commission on Human Rights, which has been strongly criticized for allowing countries with poor human rights records to be members. The, counts, the Council works closely with the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, which has its seat in New York. The current High Commissioner for Human Rights is Michel Bachelet, who previously served as the President of Chile, and she was the first woman to be uh, to hold the Chilean presidency. As I said, the members of the UN um, uh, General Assembly elect the 47 seats of the Human Rights Council, and um, each the, the seats are distributed among the United Nations regional groups in the following manner. There are 13 from the African group, 13 from the Asia-Pacific group, six for the Eastern European group, eight for Latin America and Caribbean, and seven for Western Europe. So it is a very diverse um, council. The resolution establishing, establishing the Human Rights Council states that when electing members of the council, member states shall, shall take into account the contribution of candidates to the promotion and protection of human rights and their voluntary pledges and commitments made thereto. And also that members elected to the Council shall uphold the highest standards in the promotion and protection of human rights. A very important component of the Council consists of a periodic review of all of the 193 UN member states called the Universal per Periodic Review. The mechanism is based on reports coming from different sources, including contributions from non-governmental organizations. Each country situation will be examined during a three and a half hour debate in the Council. The first cycle of these um, UPRs took place between 2008 and 2011. The second between 2012 and 2016, and the third began in 2017, and this will be completed this year. Currently, that means now, there is a session running from the 21st of June till the 13th of July, and indeed, um, these reviews, several countries are being reviewed today and in the coming days at the Council. Due to the COVID, uh, we cannot go there, uh, and many, uh, if not most, of the meetings are online, which does have the advantage that many more people uh, can just join the meetings through the internet. The Human Rights Council differs from the Security Council, which Dominic also mentioned, uh, which has a seat in New York, in the fact that it is an advisory council and not legally binding. Decisions made by the Security Council are legally binding. Those of the Human Rights Council are not. Thus, as far as the Human Rights Council is concerned, there are two mechanisms at work, which from a spiritual point of view represent two different types of energy. 
One is a blame and shame mechanism, which is going on in this, these reviews of the countries. By exposing the status of human rights for each of the 193 member states, the world at large becomes aware of the situation in any country of the world. This part of the world is of course quite visible through publications and social networks. But the second way of work is by diplomatic discussions. That part is of course much more behind the scenes and behind closed doors, but sometimes it is more effective. So far my contribution of the Human Rights Council from Geneva, so I think we shall now open the discussion, but I'll give the floor back to either Dominic or Michael. I was just going to say that I, I notice in the chat that uh, I'm, I apologize if I mispronounce your name, Admire Muchamba um, says that he appreciates the role being played by the UN in disaster, pandemic, crisis, preparedness and relief. And of course, the World Health Organization has become far more prominent in pe people's minds particularly at the beginning of the of the, the the covid pandemic and the world health organization is part of the un system um and it, it underline what is underlined yet again um is the interrelatedness of hu of of humanity um and how we we can't solve a problem, a global problem like COVID, unless we learn to cooperate, we learn to find ways to practically implement human unity, um, which is the tricky part. It's um, the, the difficult part. I'm not sure where the, where the World Health Organization have their head, headquarters. Do here, you? They, they are here in Geneva. Oh, they're Geneva as well. Gosh, yes. you're so lucky you got all those. Like, oh, there, there are many in that whole that whole scheme which you've shown. Many of the offices are actually uh -huh. here. Mm -hmm. yeah. I won't name them all, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's plenty. I know UNESCO's in Paris. Um, yeah. And... The only one that's in London, there is one in London, it's the International Maritime Organization. Um, and I think I've been to a meeting there once, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it's, but I, I, yeah, I think most of them are in Geneva or New York, aren't they? Other than, and there are a few scattered in, in other places like Vienna, I think, possibly too. Yes. And, some Clint Galvin's mentioned UNICEF, of course, which is uh, um, for, for children. Um, and Santana Starr has referenced something that uh, Walker Will has laid an emphasis on for some time now, which is the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, um, which... the. We didn't really talk too much about this, but Michael, um, I don't know if you want to come in on this, but you mentioned the the similarity between um, meditation and the work of the UN. Um, do, do, do you want to say a bit more about that? Because I, I would connect it with the cycle of conferences as well. 
Yeah, well, I really think it has to do just really with our work in meditation, at least all of our work through the trust in meditation is through the power of thought and through thinking and on the mental plane. So if you think of like I, ideas really being behind most social movements and the UN as really like a global a global movement in um, sort of social social norms, but also um, social ideas as well, then it's really, they're very much related, I think, just by their, just by the fact that they both have to do with ideas and the fact that, um, yeah, that's, to me, that's something that uh, we can all participate in because all human beings are capable of thought, capable of right thought. And so something that can really definitely unite or divide us, um, you know, People say like, you know, national national boundaries are all really uh, man-made or created. So you can think of even nations as ideas in the human mind, human constructs. Not to say they're not real, of course, they're much more than just constructs. Um, but yeah, I mean, meditation is, I think, a really, really powerful way to cooperate with the work of the UN, definitely. May I make a comment on uh, because I see uh, in the in the discussion, James Mill states it's a shame how politically compromised the World Health Health Organization is in relation to this pandemic and its relationship with certain very powerful financial interests. In a way, that's true. In another way, it's just what you read in the media, and I take this opportunity to. To, to rebound to the question which Dominic started at the beginning, what is your favorite component of the UN? Most people don't know. Even here in Geneva, when you talk on the people on the street and you, you ask them, okay, what is your favorite uh, component of the UN? People don't, people don't know, but they do know that the trouble, there is some trouble in the World Health Organization. They won't even know that it is in Geneva the World Health Organization, but they do know the troubles. What I want to say is the, the media, the television, the social media, they are very keen on pointing out difficulties, but mm -hmm. they are not so keen on pointing out all those very good things that do work. Um, Dominic already mentioned the World Health Organization is an enormous relief of distributing vaccines, of distributing medical equipment, not only in in, peop in in countries which are now covered by the or hit by the by the pandemic, but also in countries which are in 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 war or in distress, uh, all those kind of things are unknown um, by the by the public at large simply because the television and the media are not interested in it. So the bottom line is there are always um, energies going on. And uh, I, I mentioned already that at the UN uh, or in the, the Council, there are different ways of approaching a problem. And I think we, we should, as people of goodwill, always keep in mind there's at least seven different energies going on everywhere. And it's very easy to pick out one and forget the others. So mm -hmm. it's, I think it's good to, to get the full picture and just to conclude uh, the former director of the UN here in Geneva, Michael Muller, who was, to my mind, really a disciple. 
he launched a project which is called a perception change project. It means that we can change our perception of the UN just by educating and talking and publishing different information, uh, more positive information, what we would call those elements of goodwill which are in the UN. Just to conclude about that. Completely agree. And, and funnily enough, um, there is a world, world, world goodwill document um, which we have, which is about ways to support the UN, and which we're literally just updating uh, in the next, you know, the next week or so. Hopefully, we'll have the, the updated version. Um, and uh, it goes back again to what you're saying, to, to to something I said about well, the fact well, everything is implemented through imperfect human beings, and there are always going to be these compromises and conflicts with internal to the UN agencies within the system itself because we're all imperfect and we're all on the way to world unity. Um, but that shouldn't mask the fact that the UN and its agencies are focused on, the, on, that, on that primary objective. Um, I noticed someone else has said UNESCO, um, someone has mentioned uh, the Food and Agri Agricultural Organization, FAO. They've also said OMS, but I don't know what OMS is. <laughs> Maybe we need to find it on that chart. Um, and uh, Barbara Valacor has mentioned the UN Spiritual Caucus, which kind of links the whole the theme of meditation and support in the UN because they sit silently every month in support of the principles of the UN has been in existence since 2000 and that a caucus is a group of represent, representatives of civil society organizations affiliated with the UN which of course World Goodwill is affiliated with the UN and you know in New York you're just across the road and in Geneva you're not too far from me either there it is there it is that's the UN that people are talking about <laughs> That's the Secretariat building, the secretariat. main Secretariat building. Yeah, Just exactly. a small remark, Dominique, OMS means the Organisation Mondiale de la Santé, which means the World Health Organization. Oh, does it? Okay, there you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so we're already talking about it. Um, I, I don't know whether there's... Oh, yeah, some Steve Nations points out as well. Um and somebody has said, could you mention the relation of the loosest trust to the UN? Well, I have been just talking about it and that, that we, we um, uh, people from the trust will visit uh, the UN for meetings and, and we'll, um, mm. we always keep a close eye on them to see what they're up to because, of course, they're the <laughs> so important. Yeah, our official status is the UN already since, I think it's 1953, but I, I may be uh, wrong on the date. We are officially on the roster of the United Nations, of the Economic and Social Council. That mm -hmm. means that we do have the right to visit virtually all, not all, but many of the, the meetings which are in the context of the Economic and Social Council, which is a very large body of uh, the UN and from that we also do have the right to visit other uh, departments of the UN. Uh, you mentioned um, mm -hmm. the World Health Organization, there are different uh, organizations here in Geneva. 
we may we have a consultative status it means we can be there we can we are too small to be frank to make a real statement in one of those meetings but we can and we do participate with other ngos to make mm -hmm. a common statement that has yes. more power in these things we have no voting rights for people who want to ask that question so don't worry about that we are not going to vote in the UN but we do have a consultative status mm -hmm. and uh, finally I think um, uh, there is a meditation room in New York there is a meditation room here in Geneva and we do stimulate and uh, promote meditations which is now something quite I would say normal and accepted within the UN premises mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is a very also a very powerful tool and so we are more in that direction uh, but our official status is in the economic and uh, social council i just noticed that somebody has asked a question um they they, they say uh, bruno bollard has said how would you characterize antonio guterres impact hmm do you have any thoughts on that Vincent? Well, you know, I think we always say in in uh, in all of the Bailey teachings and from our point world point of world sorry point of view of world goodwill. People in power are in a very difficult position, but there is there are many reasons behind them which we probably don't see. Mm. We mostly see the people in those in those positions through what we see from the newspapers and but try to look at those people from the point of view of hierarchy i can do that but still you can try to imagine and then these people are doing a tremendously difficult job sometimes a totally impossible job but still they have taken up that position and i think they do the best they can that would be my characterization of not only Antonio Guterres, but more people in that kind of positions. I think I would agree. I've seen him speak once when he came to London, and I certainly, and it was just very early on in, in his um, being Secretary General. And I was impressed. You, 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 do, you do get the sense of somebody who is seeking to serve humanity and i think it's almost inevitable that, that, that those people who who end up in uh high positions in the un they do have a, a real genuine urge to serve and uh, 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 they wouldn't be in that position otherwise um I, and i think different secretary generals will, will grapple with different problems at different times. I mean, who, who, I don't think any secretary general would want to have to grapple with COVID, but it's come on Antonio Guterres's watch, so he's had to do it. Um, and the Cold War, whoever was secretary general then would have had to grapple with that, you know, so it's, it's always going to be as you say, it's very difficult to really judge the, the impact of any one individual, but they are in a position of tremendous 
I try and be focus of energies, if you like, and, and they, they are trying to maintain that, stabilise that. Um, any thoughts, Michael? I would just say, um, in addition to what both of you said, the, the person interested in that question may also want to look at the UN reform that's uh, been implemented the last few years and I think is still underway my understanding, and I'm no expert on the UN, and I don't fully keep up with um, you know current events there as I could. Of course, I don't think anybody could because there is so much going on. But um, that the but one of Guterres's most profound contributions in his first term so far was the was the UN reform. I know he has been he was lauded when he was elected as a very very skilled bureaucrat and uh, and the right person for that job, which people have been talking now I think for decades that. It, was greatly needed a, re a reform of the system and that has at least to my knowledge been either partially or mostly implemented um and like i don't want to get into details but i i think one of the the biggest restructuring was that there's now country teams and so you have all these all the all the alphabet soup all the acronyms we saw on that big chart mm -hmm. um there's now really just they all have you know of course an office but in each country, instead of having many offices for each of those departments working there, there is just one office in each really? country. That's and so that focalizes the work of all those different organizations and can make sure that they liaise appropriately with the local government and that the work being done is not uh, duplicated and that it is actually serving the best interests of that country at a, at a local and a national level, I think, is the, is the intention. Um, Hmm. So that's, yeah, you can look, you can just type in UN reform to Google and you probably go from there and find more information if you're interested about that. Just one other remark about the Secretary General, a bit more in general of the UN. Often they are elected by states because they think that they serve the, the interest of certain states. But once they are there, not not seldom they develop in a totally different uh, far more universal way and then they serve really humanity or mankind uh, this was certainly the case of Doug Hammarskjöld uh, Kofi Annan uh, and it may be the case of uh, Guterres he now has a second term which means he has absolute freedom he has, doesn't have to worry about his next job because he cannot be the, tech, the next secretary general so it gives him more freedom and probably, as Michael already said, he will pursue his uh, project of reforming the, the UN. Which doesn't mean that the UN um, isn't working. It does a lot of good work, but it can still uh, work much better. Of course, like any human institution. <laughs> um, I, I noticed that somebody uh, has said, um, and Nina Ryan says, um, it's miraculous to me that UN continues to exist given the threat it poses to profiteers. We should not perhaps take it for granted. And I think that's definitely something that we, we should, that is a message, we shouldn't take it for granted and we should think of ways that we can support it, whether it's subjectively through meditation through being involved in civil society, because many, many civil society organizations, not just the Lucis Trust, are affiliated in some way, shape or form with the UN. Um, 
And I noticed that even Madison, who I know who's who's done a lot of work in connection with the UN through Pathways to Peace, I think, she says the increased role of UN NGOs that UN is bringing great awareness of of participation in the UN at large. An example is the Sustainable Development Goals, which we mentioned already. Um, And other people are chiming in about the importance of meditating to support the United Nations. And I think that's, I think that any time that we are reflecting on world unity and reflecting on building right human relations, we are, we are in effect strengthening the work of the UN because that is, it's, it's, it's part, as I said, of its stated objectives to do those things. Um, so whenever we're d- helping to build that th- thought form, oh, there's a hand up. Apparently, there's a hand up. Somebody mentioned. Um, can you see it, Michael? Yes, Joshua's hand is up. Okay. Go ahead, Joshua. Hi, folks. There's some uh, comments on our post on Facebook. Uh, Melissa Grogan asks, hello, and thank you for this. I would love to know how I can find this meditation in some of the written materials. Was it sent out to us? Thank you. Um, if, if she's referring to the Goodwill the, the earlier meditation, earlier in the webinar. Yeah, the, medita- the Goodwill meditation. Yeah. Well, it is on, is on the website. On the, uh, It's linked from the World Goodwill um, homepage. Um, and it's on, well, it should be on, I think on the page where, where you link to the webinar, actually. It's on the uh, webinar page. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, it, the webinar page is the Goodwill Meditation Group page. There isn't a separate page for the webinar. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so if you just go to org and then find your way to the, uh, and in fact, if you just click on the banner, uh, at the top of the page, uh, for the Goodwill Meditation webinar, you, you should come to the meditation. Um, Emma, Emma San, San Sum asks, how will we extend goodwill into schools? <laughs> this may be another remedy. <laughs> I mean, I think there is already a lot of goodwill in schools, so I'm not really sure what, what they're asking. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, a school is really a place of so much goodwill and of learning and caring for children. So, and yeah. The latest World Goodwill newsletter is on the topic of education, which will be coming out very shortly. So, and in and, and which we talk about UNESCO, which is, of course, a UN agency, and its reflection on education for the future. So, that's one way of doing it supporting UNESCO. Thanks, Joshua. Okay. <clears throat> Wendy Boyd also has a hand up. Dominic, do we have time to hear from her? I think yeah. Just just uh, as long as as long as you keep it short, Wendy. Yep, that would be great. Very quickly, then. Um, yep. One of the concerns that I think a lot of people voice about the UN is the way in which power is wielded or not wielded and my thoughts are really regarding the current wars and um, crisis in the world there isn't time to discuss it now but 
just wanted it. Well, I think that goes back to what I was trying to think, uh, reflect on at the beginning of what I said, which was that when most people talk about the UN, or a lot of people talk about the UN, what they really mean is the UN Security Council. Now, that is definitely one part of the UN apparatus that I think most people would agree probably does need reform by now, mm-hmm. um, because the way it was set up, it was obviously it was set up very importantly uh, to prevent the threat of world war again, and it has succeeded in that aim uh, until now. But the actual structure of it, uh, the, the the use of the veto and so on and so forth, is one area where humanity has probably got a little bit further to advance than in, in some other areas in the UN. Um, but of course, as as people might point out, the, the part of the reason it doesn't get reformed is because it is the it is the great powers who basically have most of the influence within the, the Security Council. So that that is one of the harder mm. nuts for humanity to crack, for it is humanity's responsibility yeah. to crack that nut. And it, Can I it, just quickly add to that? Because you're saying about it being humanity's nut to crack. Mm-hmm. It came to me when I was thinking about the question that you asked. Um, more than answering that question the thought came to me about my relationship with the UN how I see it and um, really I think I'm like a lot of people trying to struggle free from seeing it as as if it's my parents there's a depend and I'm a child and I'm dependent on it so actually doing this subjective work using goodwill as a group is maybe a more subtle way of coming out of that dependency while learning about the practicalities because i don't like michael was saying no no i forget exactly what he said but i don't know that much about all the different organizations within it it's a huge task to try and grasp it. <clears throat> it is. Agreed. And it's humanity it is humanity's task. It's all of our responsibilities. It's not it's not it's all it's not it's not just it's not your task, Wendy, alone. It's everybody's task. Yes, yeah. And that's and that's really what we're seeking to promote the, the, the notion that the UN, like every other positive initiative, needs subjective support and objective support through um, the cooperation of NGOs and civil society. So, and I noticed somebody's just said, perhaps reform of the Security Council will require humanities initiation. Well, it, it could be that smart wet Meinstein. Um, it needs a majority in the general assembly. That's all. <laughs> okay. Well. No, I, I, I'm, I, I mean, everybody in within the UN is convinced that the Security Council needs reform. Hmm. So there is, and I think we, we are. Um, and I want just to conclude on that. We also have an initiative, which is the cycle of conferences, which is also a very powerful tool. Many of the conferences are maybe not 
directly organized to the UN, but they are quite often linked to some of the activities of the UN. And it is a beautiful subjective way to support uh, those kind of conferences to come to a thought form which eventually will, you know, uh, toggle and go to in another direction. Agreed. <laughs> I think I think uh, we could probably draw. Well, we could go on for hours, but it's we could we could we could <laughs> so, uh, we discuss every organ of the United Nations. We'd be here for <laughs> for, for weeks. But um, I, th I think that's probably all we have time for tonight. Or today, I should say. Um, so, Michael, do you want to, or should we just conclude with a moment of silence? Yeah, let's just all link up in thought with the worldwide group and have a moment of silence to conclude. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.